Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make him known. Good morning, church. My name is Ellen Freemian, and first and foremost, I'm the daughter of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And second, I'm a sister to all of you who have been adopted into the family of God through the precious blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. And I'm the wife of Brandon Freemian, who's on staff here at the church. And this morning, we're going to be continuing our sermon series in the Gospel of Mark, so that as we live out our vision in our church to be serving in, with joy in a place of calling, we know the God who we serve through these stories in Mark, and we know how to serve following as he did our servant king. I think that um, our sermon series today, focusing on Jesus as the great physician, goes without saying that it's very timely and relevant. As we are yet in another surge of the COVID pandemic that we've lived through for the past two years, I don't know about you, but I've had feelings of fear, feelings of frustration, feelings of burnout, feelings of loss, as some of us have lost those that we love for this pandemic. And so we need to hear again and remember that Jesus compassionately meets us where we are, and he is our great physician. And today I get to talk about something that's near and dear to my heart because God has vocationally called me to be a doctor. And every day I get to take care of patients who have developmental disabilities, such as autism, spina bifida, Down syndrome, and cerebral palsy and other disabilities that they've had since they were born that cause um, in, them to be incapacitated sometimes physically and intellectually. And so while I really have enjoyed learning about how God has made our bodies beautifully and wonderfully, and I love to understand how medications and procedures can help mend our bodies when we are sick, I think that my greatest joy in being a physician is, get to fo- is getting to follow like Jesus and relieving suffering and getting somebody, giving back somebody the opportunity to participate in their family and their community. And as I see that my patients' bodies and minds are well cared for, I also get to see that they can share their gifts with the world. And that's something beautiful and wonderful and a blessing that I get to do. So today we're going to look at four stories together of Jesus' healing miracles as found in Mark 1 and 2. So as we study these passages, we're going to focus on three topics. First, we're going to look at the characteristics of the illnesses that Jesus heals and the consequences that they share. Next, we're going to ask the question, so what exactly makes Jesus the great physician? And then third, we're going to look at how we can apply these stories to our understanding of illness and how we can serve following Jesus' example. So let's first think about the characteristics of illness that are seen in these stories. The easy one is physical illness. So we see two types of physical illness. The acute illness seen in Peter's mother-in-law. She's sick in bed with a fever. And we also see examples of chronic illness, the leper and the paralytic. These stories and the multiple accounts of Jesus' healing of physical illness signify that the God who has created us, mind, body, and spirit, cares for us and wants us to be whole, mind, body, and spirit. 
And that when Jesus brings his kingdom to us, he not only heals us spiritually, but physically as well when we are in his presence. Next, we see examples of spiritual illness, and there's two types. First, we see demonic oppression and possession in the man with the unclean spirit. And also, it mentions that many people with demons were brought to Peter's, mother, to Peter's house to be healed. We're going to talk a little bit more about that subject in just a second, as it's not something that we oftentimes feel comfortable about discussing. So hold that thought. But the second type of spiritual illness that we see as an example in this story is the sin-sick soul that affects us all. And that's specifically seen in the man who's paralytic. Jesus not only heals him physically, but also says, son, your sins are forgiven. He heals him spiritually. And then the third type of illness mentioned in the Bible, but not explicitly here, is that the Bible also talks about emotional illness. So if you want to think about emotional illness healing, such as depression or anxiety, I encourage you to look at two stories. If you are feeling down and depressed, read the story about how God takes care of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19, a man that is so desperate in his spirit that he asks the Lord to take take his life away. God feeds him, gives him rest, and speaks to him in a still small voice. God is near to the brokenhearted. Or if you're feeling anxious, we have lots of reasons for anxiety these days, look at Luke 10 when Jesus speaks to Martha, who is worried in the kitchen about many things, and he gently reminds her, your sister Mary is sitting here and being restored and refreshed by sitting at my feet and hearing my teaching. All right, so as promised, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the idea of demonic oppression and possession. And what I hope to do is give us a working definition, as again, it's not something that we feel very comfortable talking about, but I certainly will not be comprehensive in what I talk about here. But there are several stories in the book of Mark that we can talk more about spiritual healing of this type of illness. So when we look holistically at the many examples of demonic oppression or possession in the gospel, I found these common threads. First, the person has a loss of their personhood identity. There seems to be another person, evil force, inside of them that has control over their mind and their body. As we saw in Mark 1, the man with the unclean spirit says, what will you have to do with us, Jesus? That's not the man's voice. It's some other spirit. And oppression may be where the person has an evil force that's working inside of them, but maybe doesn't have full control. Oftentimes, this external spirit that is now internalized causes the person to have self-destructive behavior. We will read later in Mark 5 that the man in the Gerasenes is cutting himself with stones. Or in Mark 9, there's a little boy that has an unclean spirit, and when the spirit catches him, he falls into the fire. However, and most importantly for us believers in Jesus, these spirits have no tolerance of Jesus' presence. They can't occupy the same body, and they can't occupy the same space. And they recognize right away his power. As the man says here, you are the Holy One of God. And important for us all to know, this type of spiritual illness can only be healed by divine intervention. Medications won't work. Procedures won't work. 
this kind can only come out with prayer and with the work of Jesus. So a couple of words of care and caution here. Spiritual or demonic oppression or possession is different than spiritual temptation. If we look again at Mark 1 and the early parts of many of the Gospels, we hear that Jesus went out to the wilderness and Satan tempted him. And then also throughout the New Testament, we are almost promised that temptation and spiritual attack will come. So if you read in Ephesians 6 verse 12, it says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of evil. We all, though Christ is in our hearts, can expect that we will encounter spiritual forces. But remember that Jesus and demonic forces can't occupy the same space. As it says in John 1, the light has broken through the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. But we must proceed with great caution in diagnosing demonic oppression and possession. For example, I have many patients that have suffered from psychosis or delusions or other mental illness and behavioral concerns that may look like some of these characteristics. But first and foremost, many of them are medical diagnosis or psychiatric diagnosis that need intervention. It would be wrong for us to withhold that type of treatment from them. However, when we see the combination of these characteristics, we should do what Jesus instructed us to do, and that is to pray. As Jesus will say in Mark 9, this kind can only come out by prayer. So let's return now and think about illness collectively and consider some of the consequences that all illnesses cause. The first consequence that I saw from this story is and I know we've all experienced, is isolation. Now, I don't need to tell people that have lived through two years of a pandemic how illness can make you feel isolated. Whether you've been in the hospital and your family can't visit you, or you're stuck at home, or your plans for Christmas got changed, illness can lead to isolation. In these stories, there are several examples of this. The man with the unclean spirit He is not self-aware. He's almost isolated from who he is as a person. And he's certainly unclean and not able to enter into the synagogue to worship the Lord. Think about uh, Peter's mother-in-law stuck in bed with a fever. If you've ever been a mom or had a mom who was sick, you know exactly how helpless and hopeless and isolated from her family she feels. Think about the leper. He too is unclean and cannot live with his community and cannot worship. Per the Levitical law in Leviticus 13, 45 through 46, it says, A leprous person who has a disease shall wear torn clothes, let his hair hang loose. He shall cover his upper lip, and he shall cry, Unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease, he is unclean. He shall live alone, his dwelling shall be outside the camp. He is isolated from all the people that he knows. Or the paralytic, not able to get up and go places or be with his friends. And remember that this man also represents us all having a sin-sick soul. Because of our sin-sick soul, we are isolated from God and separated from him and his presence. The pain, the loss, and isolation of illness can make us feel awfully desperate. At Peter's house in Capernaum, think about that evening at sundown 
when it seems that the whole town has come out. They've heard that the healer is here and they're desperate to be near him and to receive healing from him. Think about the leper who came to Jesus and said, Lord, only if you are willing, you can make me clean. Or the friends of the paralytic willing to rip open their neighbor's roof, man-sized hole in somebody's roof, not their own house, in order to lower their friend so that they can be near to Jesus and receive his healing. So when we too face isolation and desperation of illness, let us follow the examples of these people in this passage. Let us take our burdens to the great physician first and foremost. Of course, this does not mean for us to not seek medical care, but it does mean that we should understand that our ultimate hope and our ultimate healing is found in our great physician, Jesus. So what makes Jesus the great physician? First, God is in the business of healing. There are 120 passages in the Bible that refer to God our healer, our Jehovah Rapha. And in the Gospels, there's 42 accounts of Jesus healing while he has brought his kingdom and did his ministry only for three years on earth. Jesus is always on call, and he's always our first responder. And when he responds, he does it with compassion and empathy. Even if he's in prayer, even if he's going to heal somebody else, Jesus responds with compassion and empathy to those who call upon him to be healed. This is a great reminder for some of us doctors who get calls in the middle of the night. But our great physician who's in the business of healing does not do this without being connected to his heavenly father. He rises up early to go to a solitary place to be refreshed and restored by fellowship with the Trinity. How much more as we human caregivers need to stop and be refreshed and renewed in the Lord? Also a good thing for us all as we face burnout in the caregiving world during the last two years. But not only is Jesus in the business of healing, that's who he is, he is a great diagnostician. I mean, as a doctor, if you show me that you have some chief complaint, first you have to tell me. And then I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions, probably order some tests and some procedures, maybe make some referrals to you, try a couple things and see if it works out. That's not what happens at all in these stories. The people just show up. They don't say anything sometimes to Jesus, and he knows exactly what ails them, whether that be physical, emotional, or spiritual. So when we take our cares to the Lord, we don't have to be ashamed. He already knows. You're not telling him anything new. So bring your cares to the Lord because he cares for you. And know this in faith. Jesus has the authoritative power to heal. He is Lord over all creation, Jesus is God incarnate. So unlike us who are human and doctors, who have to prescribe medications, procedures, therapy, recommend some lifestyle changes in order to help restore somebody to, to health, Jesus just speaks and the person's body, their mind, and their spirit are made new. With the touch of his hand, the leper's skin is made clean. He has authority over demonic forces to cast them out so that they torment no more. And as I was thinking, I thought, 
Isn't this like the God of Genesis 1 who looks at the void of nothingness and with his very word speaks creation? And this same God comes down and enters into his broken creation, ailing from sin. And when he brings his kingdom, he brings it fully and wholly to restore us. The God who creates can also recreate and make all things new. That's authoritative power of healing. And not only that, when Jesus heals, this leads to full restoration. The people healed here in this story are no longer in isolation. Their quarantine days are over. They can participate in worship. They can serve their family. They can go back and live with their community, go out with their friends. When Jesus meets us in the desperation of our illness, that desperation is replaced with delight in him. And remember that Jesus has paid our greatest medical bill of all, the price to cure our sin-sick souls by dying on the cross. As it says in Isaiah 55, he was punished for our iniquities and the punishment that brought us peace was put upon him and it's by his wounds that we have been healed. And because he has forgiven and healed us, we are no longer isolated from God separated from his holy presence because of sin. We are united with Christ and can look forward to living with him forever. Hallelujah and amen. So how do we follow in the footsteps of our great physician? Often about this time in the sermon, there's a story of a modern-day miraculous healing where doctors can't seem to get the diagnosis or the cure right, and by the power of Jesus, somebody's made new instantaneously. And while I certainly believe and have witnessed such miraculous healings, I often feel uneasy if these are the only examples given of how the great physician still works in our lives today. If you think about it, it's pretty miraculous that God has made us in his image and has given us the ability to understand how the body works and has given us stewardship over creation to go and make medical discoveries and understand how medications and vaccines and things can help restore people to health or help comfort them if they have a chronic illness. Isn't it amazing that we get to join in God's work of healing? And it's a humble privilege for those of us who have been called vocationally into health sciences to make discoveries, or into direct medical care to follow in the footsteps of the great physician in the work that we get to do every day. But I also feel uneasy about these stories as the only examples, because I know that we, as a congregation, have prayed for people who did not receive physical healing on this side of heaven. I think about our friend Lucretia and Tabitha, who died of cancer at very young ages, our little friend Lionel, who died of an unexpected and unknown disease. We have prayed in faith as a community. We've loved and we've served these young people and their families faced by illness that led to death. So where is Jesus in the midst of this? How did he still show up? How is he still the God of healer if we, if we didn't see healing? But think back because we still saw God's miraculous healing taking place in the way that God offered peace 
comfort, provision amidst this tremendous suffering. Illness can make our, make our human frailty seem so tangible. It makes us desperate for Jesus and his second coming. But we must also recognize that all healing on this side of heaven is temporary and was even for the people in these stories that have received healing from Jesus. We must put our eternal hope in Jesus, our great physician. He will never leave us or forsake us. And even in the midst of illness, God's glory can be seen. One of the most meaningful stories to me when I took my position as a doctor for people with chronic illness that wasn't going to get better was the story from John 9 when the disciples bring a young man who had been blind from birth to Jesus and they say to Jesus, whose fault is this? Did his parents sin? Tell us, like, why is he like this? And Jesus says, no, he is like this so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And that has been so meaningful for me and something that I strive to do in taking care of my patients every day, to give them the opportunity that the works of God might be displayed in them. And they certainly have done that for me. In their kindness and their patience, things that we can learn from them that I don't think I've been taught as well by anyone else. But we also look forward to the time when Jesus will return and be with us and we will be in his presence. Because just like these stories, if you look at what happens in Revelation, when Jesus is here among us, he will wipe every tear away from our eyes. Death shall be no more. There shall be no more mourning, no more crying and no more pain for the former illnesses that have caused such isolation and have caused such desperation and the sin that has separated us from God will be no more when we are in the presence of our great physician. Amen and hallelujah. So we can look retrospectively at these beautiful stories that bring us hope from the Gospels. And we can look prospectively to when Jesus returns to bring his kingdom again. But how now shall we live in the midst of this giant surge yet again in this pandemic? So first, when we are ill and experience illness or are burned out as a caregiver, remember the ones that sought Jesus in faith, recognizing that he has the power to heal us. Listen to these words of the leper and store them and treasure them in your heart. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Also, when we see others who are ill, we should remember the friends of the paralytic. They stopped at nothing to help their friend out of the isolation and desperation that he was experiencing, even if it meant ripping up somebody's roof. Not that I suggest that you do that. But the take-home message is that we should remove barriers as we can from people accessing the great physician, the healer Jesus. And we should sometimes help people to go and get the medical and emotional care that they need. Sometimes that looks like helping them to go get a doctor's appointment or helping to explain to them what the doctor is saying or maybe filling in a gap for somebody that can't afford medical care. For some of us, that looks like saying yes when Jesus calls us to a health profession. And I know many of the healthcare workers would love to mentor young people here in our congregation to do that. In our church, that might look like signing up to be part of a meal train 
to help um, people that are ill and, and can't cook for themselves. It also might look like being part of the prayer team and calling somebody up and just saying, the Lord put you on my heart and I want to pray for you. I wanted you to know that you are not alone. And then finally, James chapter 5, 14 and 15 is pretty explicit about what we should do when we're sick. It asks the question, is anyone among you sick? The answer will always be yes. So let him call on the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise them up. So we will have the opportunity in a few minutes to do exactly that. I wanted to also encourage the people that might be listening online that that includes you. And I think there's an email address, C-O-R-Praise, at cityofrefuge.org that you can also have a prayer request be known. And I believe also on the church website, there's ways to get in contact with people if you need prayer. So before we do that, I'd like to pray uh, for the Lord to be with us, to be working already as we go out into the world to answer his calling and to serve in his likeness. Uh, Great God, Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that we can call upon you. Um, You're the Lord of creation, and you're also our dear daddy. Lord, would you be close to the brokenhearted to those that need spiritual healing, to those that need to know you physic- your physical healing, Lord. Would you send your spirit as our counselor so that we would know what to say if we are the caregivers, that we would know what to do. I pray for wisdom for those of us that are put into the position of helping somebody in illness. God, just open our minds, help us to learn what we should do and take care of people so that your glory might be known and your work might be known in their life. And I just pray for anybody here that is just experiencing COVID right now, um, Lord, that you would make their illness short, that you would provide for them, and help us as a congregation to be ready to go to serve as you would call. In the name of your son, who has cured us by his wounds of our sin, Jesus. Amen.